All right, why don't you talk about this at your tables? Here's your discussion question. What is one of the most embarrassing things you've ever said? <laughs> talk about that. Go for it. All right, we're in part 20 in our series. We're working our way through the book of Acts, and we're talking about heroes of the faith. We've been learning that as you go through the book of Acts, uh, the book of Acts is filled with individuals that were unlikely to have been used in the way God used them. And those are heroes of the faith. And we're learning also that God wants to work in our lives in the same way, that we would become modern-day heroes of the faith. And as we follow what we see modeled to us in the book of Acts, we can become just that. And so this morning, we're going to actually look at the Apostle Paul. He is our hero of the faith. Who's our hero of the faith this morning? The Apostle Paul. And we're going to take a trip with Paul. We're going to go to the cities of Corinth and Ephesus, and we're going to underscore, we're going to see a hero of the faith trait that is so clearly heroic and so clearly needed to be lived out by each of us. Here, here's a question that I just want to give to you right now. Is there a principle out there that exists that if you follow will allow your relationships to improve every single time? And the answer is no, sorry. No, you, no. The answer is yes. There does exist such a principle. Let me make an observation. Relationships that have problems violate this principle all the time. Marriages, friendships, family issues. If you violate this principle, you're going to have problems every single time. Relationships that are successful uphold this principle every single time. This is a trait that if you bring into your life will absolutely transform your life, your relationships. And here it is. Let me give it to you first, and we're going to unpack it today and see it in the life of Paul. One of the most heroic things you can do is to say nothing and do nothing, allowing God to do his work in the circumstance. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, earlier it was funny. You guys were just going off on all the things that you've said that are embarrassing. How many times have we opened our mouth or done something we shouldn't have done, and it just, it results in chaos in the relationship? If only we would have not said. If only we would have not done that, you know? It, it's a lot easier said, this principle, than lived out. Life is filled with relationship circumstances and drama and issues and challenges and more drama, and it gets more complex and swirling. And, and guess what? You're in it right now, and so am I. We're all in it because we're human. There is some circumstance right now that you're in where the most heroic thing you could do is say nothing. Do nothing and give God the time he needs to be at work in that circumstance. The question is, will you rise to a level of being heroic? It's kind of like Kenny Rogers' song, The Gambler. Now, I'm not going to sing it, but I will state it. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, know when to run. You never count your money when it's sitting at the what? There'll be time enough for count when the dealing's done. I mean, that whole song is about this wise gambler, savvy gambler, 
giving advice to this kind of young, inexperienced gambler on how to play the game right. And if you're going to play the game right, boy, you got to learn, you know, if you're going to play the game, boy, you got to learn to play it right. And one of the most heroic things you can do in any relationship is you got to learn to play it right. You got to learn there's a time to say nothing, do nothing. Give God the time he needs to do what he alone does. That's learning to play the game right, and that is heroic. Now, before we dive into this a little bit further, I know we all have stories of this. When was the last time you should have said nothing, you should have done nothing, but you did the opposite and got you into a bunch of trouble? Talk about that. Go for it. So there isn't a one of us who has not violated this. We've said something, we've done something, we wish we wouldn't have done that, said that. And that's why this hero of the faith trade is to say nothing, do nothing, and allow God to do his work in the circumstance. So this morning what we want to do, we're going to get into the text now in Acts 18 starting, we want to give you two principles that will help all of us to live out this trait. We need some guidance, we need an example, we need some encouragement. So two principles. <clears throat> Here's the first principle. When in Corinth, it's best to say nothing. We're going to see this illustrated in verses 1 through 17 of Acts 18. How do I know if I'm in Corinth? Well, you'll be experiencing the same things that Paul experienced. There's three ways to know that you are in Corinth. I'm using this metaphorically. Number one, you know you're in Corinth if God has called you where you are. You know, are you where... Are you where you are because God has called you there? And do you know that? You're in a marriage. You're in your family. You're at work. You're with a friendship. And you're there because you know this is God's will. God's called you there. Well, then you're in Corinth. Chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left, and he's on a second missionary journey. He left Athens, and he went to Corinth. Now, Corinth is a uh, southern city in Greece, in that location, southern Greece, major trade city. And I think we might even have a map here of it. Paul's on his second missionary journey, and uh, it says that he leaves Athens, which is right here, and he goes to Corinth. Now, I've taken a, a bus from Athens to Corinth. It's not very far. It's like 50, 55 miles. I mean, you can drive it today in an hour and a half, two hours, something like that. Paul's on his Second missionary journey, he leaves Athens, which we were the last time in the book of Acts studying, and he went to Corinth. So what happens when he gets in Corinth? Well, he's in God's will, he's in God's plan for his life, and this is some of the drama that Paul experienced. Different than the drama you're experiencing in your Corinth, but this was Paul's drama. There he met a Jew, Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy, and his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, Paul was a tent maker, and Priscilla and Aquila were as well. By the way, that's why we say that Paul's epistles were written very intently. Okay. I like it. Excellent. That's a good word. Okay. And he stayed and worked with them. So here's the apostle Paul. He's working, having to work, even though he's called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He still has to work. But a little bit later, we're going to find out he's released and he can go full time. And this is what we do with many of the pastors all over the world. 
They have to work side jobs. We come around them and support them like you're doing, and it frees them up to serve full time. Well, every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogues, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. And this was Paul's custom. He'd go into an area. If there was a synagogue there, he'd start with the Jews, preaching the gospel in the synagogue. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. Probably, uh, Paul, you know, Timothy and Silas started to do some work there, freed Paul up so, you know, he has food, and he can give himself fully to the gospel testifying to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul, you know, in the synagogue and became abusive, well, Paul shook uh, out of his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. This is often what happened. The Jews would reject the message. Uh, in its beginning stages, Paul will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Notice, He's going to a house. There is no church here in the first century. Church buildings, as we know them, did not come into the third century AD. The church virally was what was used to spread the gospel in homes. It was homes. Like even today, the vast majority of evangelism around the world is not happening in church buildings. It's in homes through the house church movement all over the world. Many places you can't even have it. In Saudi Arabia, there's not one church, not one, with, with a cross on it. In uh, Afghanistan, there's one church with a cross on it. But the gospel is going in these areas, but in homes. It's the same thing your first century even to today, other than in the United States. But even there's a house church movement here, but I'm getting sidetracked, aren't I? You can tell I get excited about the gospel. So Paul is spending time in the synagogue, and, and the entire household, you know, after he leaves the synagogue, they come to Christ, and they believed in the Lord. Many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul. He's in Corinth in a vision. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent, for I'm with you. No one's going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in this city. Very interesting. Because there are many people of God's people in the city Interesting phrase there. Theologians debate what that means. I'm not going to get into it, but just something to think about. So Paul stayed in Corinth a year and a half teaching the Word of God. He's where God wants him to be. Why is he doing this? Because God's called him there. He's in Corinth uh, sharing the Word. What about you? Where are you at the last year and a half? You're in your Corinth doing what God wants you to do. But there's a second way you know you're in Corinth. You know you're in Corinth when you're being attacked. All of a sudden, an attack comes. Look at verses 12 and 13. While Gallio was proconsul of uh, Achaia, that's the judge of the area, the Jews of Corinth made an attack, united attack on Paul. So the Jews in the synagogue, they're not liking that Paul's preaching the gospel and the house church movement is exploding. So they bring Paul before the, the judge to a place of judgment, Gabatha, a high place. This man they charge is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to us. Paul's being attacked for his faith in God and being a witness of Jesus and the gospel. What about you? There's times you're doing God's work where he's called you to be and you're being attacked. The attack you're going to experience is going to be different than what Paul experienced. It's going to look different, but the underlining principle is the same. You're being attacked for your faith for the gospel, because you're taking a stand for God and you're taking shots. 
Hmm. Thirdly, you know you're in Corinth when you want to speak to defend yourself, but by God's grace, you say nothing. So Paul is drugged before this judge. He's accused, and then look what sat just as Paul was about to speak. Gallio said to them, remember, God said, I'm going to protect you here. If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not judge such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader of this kind of bringing Paul before the judge, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Galilee showed no concern whatsoever. Wow. What would have happened if Paul would have spoke up? If he was, no, I need to get my words in. We don't know. What we do know is that Paul, by God's grace, and there are times by God's grace we don't speak up, but Paul, by God's grace, didn't speak up, and because he didn't speak up, Gallio, who God provided, was able to enter into the equation, and God used that man, an unbeliever, to completely resolve the situation. In this case, Paul kind of becomes a passive hero. By God's grace, God kind of stayed him and kept him from being vocal. But there's a very powerful principle <clears throat> here <clears throat> for all of us to hold on to. And it's this, that when we're in Corinth, best to say nothing. So I want to ask you, are you in Corinth right now? Your own Corinth. <clears throat> You know, it takes two to argue. Listen to these scriptures. I mean, is there a message here for you? Has God brought you here this morning for a reason? Is there wisdom he wants to give you about something you're facing? Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is patient has great understanding, but the one who is quick-tempered displays folly. What if Paul was quick-tempered? Hmm, he displays folly, that's foolishness. And you compound the problem. <clears throat> Ephesians 4.2, be completely humble. Wow. Would you underline completely? Not partially, but this is a command. Be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Is there someone that God's saying, you need to be humble and gentle and, you know, patient, and you're thinking of that person right now, and you're like, Mark, why did I come to church this morning? You know, you're like, whoa. But the Lord is trying to give us wisdom. James 1, 19 to 20. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Wow, quick to listen. Are we slow to listen and like quick to speak? Slow to become angry. Are we quick to become angry? Man's anger or woman's anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When in Corinth, it's best to say nothing, allowing God to do his work in the circumstance. That doesn't mean we're not praying. We are praying like crazy. But we're not saying anything. I was just talking to a small business owner, and he was sharing with me that, <clears throat> you know, he seeks to be a witness just like you do in your life. And as he was given a public statement, afterwards, a woman came to him, confronted him, and said, don't you realize that Christians are the problem for the whole world, you know? And he w I said, what did you say? And he said, 
in, I wanted to speak up and say something. But he goes, I just smiled. And I go, that's wisdom. There's times we're called to speak up, but get, the point is this. Some of us speak up too much, and our way is not working. And when we do speak up, it's fine as long as it's laced in prayer, 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 speak up. But if we're reacting, you know, we're going to be in Corinth at different times in your life. Best to smile, say nothing, give God the opportunity to work. The Holy Spirit will let you know when you should speak up. Some of us are just so prone to speaking up, speak up, speak up. We just like, it's pouring, you know, gasoline on this fire. And meanwhile, God is saying, just smile and let me do my work because I will. Hmm. Are you in court? This is the question right now. And what does saying nothing look like for you in your circumstance? The Holy Spirit is speaking. Why don't you take a moment at your tables and talk about that? Go for it. All right, let's read together our hero of the faith trait. Maybe we can put that up, can we, on the, there we go, our hero of the faith trait today. Let's read this out loud together. Can we do it? Here we go. One of the most heroic things you can do is to say nothing and do nothing, allowing God to do his work in the circumstance. Wow. A lot easier said than done. Got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. You never count your money when you're sitting at the table. There'll be time enough for count when the dealing's done. If you're going to play the game, boy, you got to learn to play it right. Hey, one of the most heroic things you can do. Seriously. Say nothing. Do nothing. Hmm. Pray. One of my mentors was the second uh, senior pastor of Three Crosses, Jake Bielig. And Jake always used to say to me, he used to say, Mark, in ministry, you need to maintain a deaf ear and a blind eye. What he was saying was, Mark, don't react to everything you hear. Don't feel like you need to do something in every circumstance. Sometimes what you need to do is nothing and say nothing and give God the time he needs to work in that circumstance. He was saying, Mark, you want to be a good pastor, you got to learn to play the game right. And not that it's a game, but you get my point. I just received this story from Ethiopia, which is pretty amazing. One of our church planners befriended an unbeliever named Amadi, who was a very strong Muslim. He was loved by his family, actually a wealthy family. And uh, this Ahmadi met Jonas. And, and Jonas had just become uh, one of our church planters. His life was just transformed by the gospel. And he began to share with Ahmadi about what Jesus had done. And after he had answered uh, Ahmadi's questions, he had three questions, he was so moved by what he heard Amadi uh, just put his faith in Jesus. His life was transformed. Unfortunately, his family heard about what took place, that he had become a Christian, bringing shame on their Muslim family. And so they uh, devised a plan to kill him. And so in the evening, one night, the entire family surrounded him and um, 
tied him up in ropes, his hands, his legs, everything, and they brought him out to the wilderness. And uh, they strapped him, multiple with ropes, secured him to a tree, like Jesus died on a tree. And, and they, they said, the Jesus that you believed in was crucified, and so we are going to strap you to this tree, and now may the hyenas eat your blood along with your Jesus. And he is crying out for help, but no one can hear him. They leave him there completely bound to this tree, and, at mid and all he can do is cry out to Jesus. Well, at midnight, thereabouts, the hyenas do show up. Hyenas have a biting force of 1,000 pounds per square inch. And so they begin to bite the ropes off his body. Starting from his legs, they literally free this brand new believer. Furthermore, as he is freed and falls to his knees, one hyena escorts him with another behind, leading him to the road. They literally walked him all the way to a road where he was, a car was able to um, uh, help him. And the only thing he knew was to go to a believer's home and told the believer's home what happened. They were like, wow. And we have since helped him now move as many brand new Muslims that come to Christ. We, we have to help them get to secure areas. Now, we don't know what his family has said. We know they're still trying to kill him, and he is now in a different area. These are the kind of pastors, by the way, that you support around the world. They're sharing the gospel in these kind of ways. Why do I share with you this story? I share with you this story because of this. Sometimes you're in situations where you can't do anything and you can't even say anything other than pray, and that is all God needs to do a miracle. For some of you, he, God has brought you here today to say, stop talking and stop doing so I can do a miracle in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is the God that you are. You don't require of us anything but to follow you. And there are times that following you means saying nothing and doing nothing and just smiling and praying and crying out to our God. And so, Lord, you can do anything. Nothing's impossible for you. And some of us look at our situation and we feel it's impossible, but we're continuing to do the same thing we've always done and we're not seeing anything change. Maybe it's time that you brought us here to reveal a new way of moving forward, like the Apostle Paul, where we say nothing and do nothing and just trust you for a miracle. If that's you, my friend, why don't you just talk to your loving Heavenly Father who's brought you here this morning. Bring to him your burden. Bring to him your situation. Ask him for his wisdom and his grace and strength. He will meet you where you're at. He's that kind of God. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your marvelous grace. Thank you for being so patient with us. And now, Lord, even this week, just show us how this looks in our lives, in our relationships. Thank you, Jesus, that you're always with us. All God's people said, amen. amen.